Thank you to the team for leading us in worship this morning. Today, we get to celebrate Mother's Day. With being asked to speak today, it got me thinking about how Mother's Day came to be on our national calendar. So I did a little research, and here's what I found. The North American tradition of Mother's Day was born out of one woman's desire to honor her mother's life and sacrifices. Anna Jarvis had witnessed her mother tend to and care for civil war soldiers from both the North and the South. Then after the war, her mother tried to reconcile families that had been divided by the conflict. In attempting to honor her mother's life and sacrifices and all the sacrifices mothers have made for their children, she was able to organize the first Mother's Day celebration in 1908 in Grafton, Virginia. After the success of her first Mother's Day celebration, she wanted to make it bigger and make sure that it was on the national calendar. In 1914, her dream came true when President Woodrow Wilson signed a measure officially establishing the second Sunday of May as Mother's Day. Jarvis didn't intend, though, that this would be a commercialized holiday, but one of personal celebration between mothers and families or attending church services. So here we are, a hundred and some odd years later, attending church services and celebrating our mothers. For some, today is a good day. It's a great day, a day where you get to hang out and or connect with mom or celebrate her legacy, as Anna Jarvis did. But I also want to acknowledge that this day is tough for some. For some, this may be the first Mother's Day without your mom, or you're remembering the loss of a child. It's possible that your relationship with your mother is strained, it's difficult, it's complicated. Maybe you desire to be a mom, but your motherhood has been delayed, disrupted, or unachieved for a variety of reasons. Maybe your children have recently lost their mother and you are trying the very best that you can to be all that they need you to be, but you know that you can never replace her. Today, we are going to look at a variety of examples of mothers in the Bible, most of which do not reflect our culture's idealized image of motherhood. It's through these women that we will get a glimpse of God's heart and get to know who he is. So let's start at the beginning with the creation of Eve. Eve, taken from the side of Adam, made in God's image, was gifted to bring forth life and was the first of many mothers. After God had placed man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now these phrases, helper and just right for him, or suitable in some translations, have come to represent these ideas of being backup, assistant, servant, a compliment to, etc., which can be okay, but it just doesn't really reflect who God is. God is definitely not our backup, and he is definitely not our servant. He is Lord above all. So if we look at the Hebrew, we really see God's image in his creation of Eve, the first woman, the first mother. The Hebrew word for helper is ezer, 
And the word for just right or suitable for him is kenegdu. The word ezer appears 21 times in the Old Testament, and the vast majority of them describe God as he's delivering and rescuing his people. It's a word conveying strength and power, a word with military connotations. For example, in Deuteronomy 33, verse 26, it says, There is no one like the God of Israel. He rides across the heavens to help you, across the skies in majestic splendor. Or as David writes in Psalm 33, verse 20, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help, our easer, our shield. Or in Psalm 70, verse 5, But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper, my easer, and my savior, O Lord, do not delay. This is way more than just being Adam's backup. Eve was created as one who could help because she has passion and power and purpose in the words of author and speaker Joe Saxton. Kenegdu means facing or opposite as to him or corresponding as to him. It represents being able to stand in a person's presence as an equal or another entity. The Ezer is not consumed in another person's story. Ezer is also a verb meaning to protect, to surround, to defend, to rescue, to save, and to cherish. These words are represented in our common phrase of don't get between a mama and her baby cub. Eve, women, and mothers have been made in God's image. They are helpers, helpers that reflect who God is, a God who is strong and powerful, a God who rescues and protects. Next, we skip to Sarah, whose womb was closed. Not the ideal situation when God has promised Sarah and Abraham that they would become parents of many nations and kings will be among their descendants. Abraham actually laughed in disbelief of him becoming a father at 100 and Sarah a first-time mom at 90 years old. Talk about a geriatric mother. Some of you, like Sarah, may have experienced motherhood deferred or a current currently experiencing delayed motherhood. Within my own family, this was the case for my nana and papa and even my own parents. My grandparents were never able to carry a baby to term, and my parents experienced and struggled with infertility. God closed the door, but they didn't know what was to come. Both couples decided to take a different path and started their family in a different way through adoption. My nana and papa had the opportunity to adopt my aunt and my mom, and then my parents adopted me and then had ended up having two bio sons and able to adopt another daughter. I'm sure they never thought that they would end up with four children in those years of disappointment. When visitors came to visit Abraham and Sarah, they reminded them of the promise God had made. Sarah still could not believe it. In Genesis 18, verse 12, it says that Sarah laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy so much pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? 
What we can learn about God from the story of motherhood is that God is faithful and he keeps his promises and that nothing is impossible for him. God kept his word and did exactly as he promised. Sarah became pregnant and she was able to give birth to a son and named him Isaac. Sarah wasn't the only one to get pregnant in her old age. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, did as well. In revealing God's plan, the angel Gabriel reminded Mary that the word of God will never fail. Not only will God's word never fail, but we know that nothing can stop God's plan for the world and for his people. John, from his exile in Patmos, penned these words to the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Throughout the Bible, we are reminded that God is the God of the impossible and that he is a promise keeper. We don't have to look far for our next mother. Next, we look to Rebecca, wife of Isaac, Sarah's daughter-in-law, and mother of twins Jacob and Esau. Rebecca's story is riddled with mistakes, bad choices, and some parenting fails. But they weren't bad enough to stop her from being a worthy mother and part of Jesus' backstory. If you recall, Esau was the oldest and his favorite, but Rebecca favored Jacob. It's hard not to have favorites at some point, but we also know this leads to many problems. For this family, it created many problems within the parent-child relationship, but also between the two brothers. Jacob and Esau were often at odds, and Rebecca and Isaac did not help in the situation. As we read Genesis 27, we know that Rebecca knew God's calling on Jacob's life and that God intended for Jacob, the younger, not Esau, to be the one who would father the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But instead of trusting God to fulfill his plan, she took things into her own hands. Rebecca helped Jacob to deceive her husband Isaac so that Jacob would receive the birthright blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. Rebecca reminds us that though our actions can be motivated by love, sometimes we just get it wrong. And instead, we need to trust God in all things. As I heard one mom say recently as I was listening to a podcast, as parents, a third of the time we get it right, a third of the time we get it wrong, and a third of the time we spend making up for things that we've done wrong. The truth is, whether a parent or not, we all have influence, whether it be in our homes, at work, or in our community. We are navigating this life the best that we can, and sometimes waiting for God and seeing how he unfolds his plans in any area of our life can just be difficult. In these moments, we need to hold on to verses that remind us of God's plan, like Habakkuk 2.3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Or Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Like Rebecca, we need to remember God's word, but we also need to trust in God's power. We cannot trust human beings to bring God's plans to fruition in their own strength, but we can rely on God to bring his good works to completion. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Rebecca's story reminds us that we can trust God to see all his plans through to the end. And thankfully, God still works even if we make mistakes and try to help him out a little. Continuing on our journey, we turn to Leah. Jacob's wife. Leah was the forgotten mother, but she found her motherhood in the Lord. In Genesis 29, we read that Jacob traveled to his uncle Laban's to find a wife. And once there, he, Rachel caught his eye. To Jacob, she had a great figure, a lovely face, and he desired to marry her. Leah, on the other hand, is described as having no sparkle in her eyes, and she was overlooked. The only problem was that culturally, the youngest daughter could not be married before the oldest. So Laban deceived Jacob and gave Leah to him first while making Jacob wait to marry Rachel. And once married to Rachel, it says in verse 30 that he, Jacob, loved her, Rachel, much more than Leah. Maybe today, you are feeling a little bit more like Leah than Rachel. You are feeling forgotten or you're feeling overlooked. Maybe you desire to be married and you have put yourself out there, but you feel like no one has taken notice. Maybe you are in a relationship right now, but you are feeling ignored or rejected or not a priority. Or maybe you can translate these feelings to your workplace. Maybe you've been passed over for a promotion or even an opportunity to work on a new project or you just feel unappreciated. No matter the scenario, married or not, mother or not, we can be reminded by Leah's story to look for our significance and our fulfillment in God. We read in Genesis 29 verse 31 that when the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. In the Bible, it says that Leah gave birth to six sons and a daughter, but none of them brought Jacob to a place to give her affection or find favor with her. We can see Leah's journey to contentment and fulfillment in God by how she named her children. Her son Reuben was evidence to her that the Lord sees. Simeon means the Lord hears, and Levi that the Lord might create a bond between her and Jacob. Leah named her fourth son, though, Judah, meaning praise. Leah came to a place of being content to praise God for the blessings in her life, despite the relationship with her husband. She had reached a point where she turned to God to fulfill her and not Jacob. With the birth of her next two sons, Issachar and Zebulon, Leah acknowledged the gifts the Lord had given her. Throughout her life, Leah stayed loyal to her husband, Jacob. She was a good mother to her children and was faithful to God. 
ultimately, Jesus would come from the line of one of her sons, Judah, despite enduring the pain of rejection and her deepest desire being unfulfilled, which was to gain the affections of her husband, Leah came to learn that God is the only one that can completely fulfill us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. From Leah's story, we can be reminded that our circumstances or how well our marriage is going cannot determine the level of our joy, consistency of our prayers, and abundance of our thanks. We might not always understand God's ways or think that it's right or fair, but we need to learn to worship and trust and be at peace with God no matter our circumstances. We need to remember that God is the one who sees us, hears us, knows the aches of our hearts, and gives us purpose in life. He is the one who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Next, we turn to Jochebed, the mother of Moses. She was a mother of young children during a time when Israelites were slaves. It was also a time when Pharaoh was the most afraid of the growing number of Hebrews. So he did what he thought made the most sense, kill all the new Hebrew boys. Jochebed loved her son so much, she was willing to defy the most powerful king on earth to save his life. Jochebed sacrificed her mother for the sake of her son Moses. She is the sacrificial mother. In Exodus 2, verse 3 to 4, we read, But when she, Jochebed, could no longer hide him, she got a blanket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and Jochebed got the chance to nurse Moses until he was old enough to return to become the princess's own son. Jochebed was a sacrificial mother, giving her son the best chance and opportunity to live. I'm sure we can all reflect on the sacrifices others have made, especially our mothers. Over the past few months, I have been learning more about adoption. Not just its impacts on kids, but about birth mothers like Jochebed. What I have come to understand more fully is how much these first mothers love their children. While some have difficulty or are not able to meet the expectations set for them, others choose to let their children go in order for their child to have the best life possible. It is a moment of bravery, a moment of sacrifice, and it is a loving moment of care. For me, I don't think I would be living in Canada if my birth mother had made a different decision, and my life's journey would definitely be different. It was Jochebed's bravery and sacrificial love that allowed Moses to grow and eventually lead the Israelites to freedom. We only need to look at the last holiday that we celebrated to know what Jochebed's story reveals about God. God is a God of sacrifice. As John 3.16 reminds us, God the Father had to sacrifice his son, 
For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus had to choose to sacrifice himself. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It is through God's sacrifice, it's through Jesus' sacrifice, that we can find freedom and new life. Naomi, like Jochebed, experienced loss. For Naomi, though, she experienced the death of her husband and two sons in a foreign land. Deciding to return home to Judah, Naomi encouraged her two daughter-in-laws to return to their own families. However, Ruth was not so easily dismissed. Ruth said to Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. The two women had shared grief, but they also shared a great affection for one another. It was their faith that was at the center of their relationship, and it enabled Naomi to experience a new type of motherhood, that of a spiritual mother. Naomi not only gained a daughter, but also a son through Boaz and grandchildren. Naomi's story reveals how important community is to God. God is a God of community within himself. The Trinity, God the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. When we choose God as Ruth chose Naomi, we become part of his family. We become his sons and daughters. It is then that we also get to be part of a larger spiritual family. So many women have spoken into my life along the way. Maybe, like me, these are women you have chosen in some way. We open our hearts to them and allow them to speak into our lives, whether it's just for one season or for many. They may be friends, family friends, friends' parents, colleagues, teachers, grandmothers, church leaders. They are an essential part of our community, one where we journey with and care for one another. The African proverb is true. It does take a village to raise a child. We need mothers in all forms to come alongside us, invite us into their lives, and speak into ours. For those women today who are without children, whether by choice or not, know that your investment into the lives of others counts, and God is using you. You may not always see the fruits of your labor, but you are vital. In opening her life to Ruth and embracing spiritual motherhood, Naomi got to play a role in youth, Ruth being counted as an ancestor of two of the greatest kings that ever lived, King David and Jesus. Rounding out our journey of highlighting some notable mothers in the Bible, we are going to end with Mary. Mary reminds us that we are called by God. God chose Mary, and she was challenged to completely submit to God's will so that the Savior could be brought into the world. Mary responded to that call and said, I am the Lord's servant. 
Mary lived out her calling and was there from diapers to runny noses to seeing Jesus teach in the temple, to seeing miracles, to his death on the cross, and to his resurrection. She was mother from beginning to end and even got to be part of the first church, the legacy of Jesus on earth. Mary was like most mothers as she recognized the gift that her child was, but also aware that life was not always going to be pleasant. But most of all, she was committed to God. Mary lived out her first calling, that of loving God. Mary was able to be the mother she needed to be because she loved God and submitted herself to his will. Everything else flowed out of this relationship. God has a calling and a purpose for all of us. Our first calling and main purpose is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Dependence on God will draw us into a deeper relationship with him, and it's this relationship that enables us to do the other work that is placed before us, whether that is to be a parent, to mentor, to influence, or to journey with others. My great-grandmother Davis lived out this calling. She had a strong relationship with God and was a woman of prayer. On October 25, 1944, she woke up suddenly, and her son, Clyde, was at the forefront of her mind. She had a vision of an aircraft carrier on fire and sinking, and her son struggling in the waves. She prayed that he would know God before it was too late. It wasn't until he arrived home from a survivor's leave that he told his mother about his ship, the St. Lowe, sinking. It was then she told my grandfather, her son, how she had woken up in the middle of that night, feeling that her, the pain that her son might never get the chance to make his life right with God. He, in turn, recognized how God had saved his life and intervened in three distinct instances and probably many more. Once he was discharged, he had the opportunity to go to Youth for Christ event and meet people from a local church. It was then that he decided to commit his life to serving God and to change his educational and career pathway. He had the opportunity to preach and share his love of God for over 50 years. My great-grandmother Lillian's relationship with God made an impact on my grandfather's life. God mercifully saved him physically and then led him to become a spiritual father to many, but also father and grandfather. A legacy of following God continued. God calls all of us to deepen our relationship with him, and through it, God is able to use us even more than we can imagine. Today, we looked at a variety of mothers in the Bible and what their lives or a portion of their lives revealed about God. Through Eve, we are reminded that God is a God that rescues and protects. Through Sarah, we are reminded that God is the God of the impossible and a promise keeper. Through Rebecca, we are reminded that we can trust God to see his plans through. Through Leah, we are reminded that God is the only one that completely fulfill us. Through Jochebed, we are reminded that God is a God of sacrifice, and through Jesus, we can find freedom and life. Through Naomi, we are reminded that God is a God of community, and through Mary, we are reminded that God calls.
Motherhood is messy, life is messy, but no matter whose story you connect with, remember that you are an image bearer of God. God is walking with you and through God's grace, he is revealing himself through you and using your life for his kingdom purposes. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for using women, for using mothers to reflect your image here on earth. Help us to find our meaning and our joy in you. Give us wisdom and endurance, especially during this time as we're in our homes. And just give us people that we can connect with so that we can grow closer in our relationship with you and be all that you want us to be. Continue to use us and help us to see your kingdom here on earth. These women that we've looked at today pave the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one can be called mom. Whether you are a mother of faith, mentorship, by adoption, birth, or marriage, you play an important role in the lives and stories of the next generation. Moms, women, girls, Thank you for being you. Thank you for loving God and allowing God to use you to reveal himself to those around you. May your good works and your ability to mother and mentor and guide continue to flow out of your relationship with God.